Haunt. Part 3 of the John Sims vs. the NHS series. A Magnus Archives, The Bright Sessions, Fan Fiction. Written by Black Satin Point Shoes. Read by God of Laundry Baskets. Summary John is dull and worn and scarred and all-seeing. He walks into Dr. Bright's office a second time, and somewhere, of its own accord, a tape recorder clicks on. Or, MAG-132 means that everyone needs therapy. Content warnings. Disassociation. Suicide ideation, trauma, and, uh... John is bad at self-worth. The monster falls asleep outside. Accusing guys hide in the stars. Where do monsters go to die? Dying isn't very hard. That's not the way the rhyme goes. The monster falls asleep in bed. The walls begin to close. The monster cannot trust his head, and everybody but him knows. That's not the rhyme either, but it doesn't matter. None of it matters. The vast, the end, the buried, the spiral. The rhyme that unravels in John's mind isn't real. And it doesn't matter. The monster falls asleep at night. The spider weaves a thread. The creatures gorge themselves on light. The tapestry turns dark and red. John? The monster looks across the gaping chasm of Dr. Bright's office to where the small woman sits expectantly in an armchair. The monster doesn't look her in the eyes. The lights are too bright for that. John, I'm glad to see you here again, Dr. Bright begins, but the monster cuts her off. No, you're not. And he's right, of course. The monster falls asleep alone. His eyes are wide and open. The monster doesn't have a home. The monster has stopped hoping. Can I sit next to you, John? Dr. Bright asks, and the monster nods. Maybe he should say no. Maybe he shouldn't have come. Surely Dr. Bright is in danger now, and he put her there. The monster can still taste dirt on his tongue, can feel it caked under his fingernail. He picks at it. He didn't bring a recorder to this appointment, but he knows one is running. He knows where it is. He knows that he will pick it up when he leaves. May I touch you? She asks, and the monster nods again. He expects her to take his hand or touch his arm, 
to keep herself safe while going through the appropriate motions of comfort. He can then remember the warmth of it for the next few days, as the Institute keeps their eyes and their hands to themselves. The monster is oil, and his colleagues are water. He has learned not to question it. Dr. Bright hugs him, and John gasps. It's nothing special. It's just a hug. Dr. Bright hugged her brother this morning, and then she hugged Sam yesterday, and she hugged Caleb when he went off to university with tears in her eyes. Dr. Bright isn't touchy, but she knows how to hug. John is swept off his feet with knowledge, treading water, and he chokes on it audibly as the door in his mind slams shut again. He's awash with guilt, as suffocating as the coffin he has just escaped, Dr. Bright still has her arms around him. John feels shame rise in his throat, and he knows he doesn't deserve this. He tries to push away, but the effort is feeble, and Dr. Bright only tightens her embrace in response. Despite himself, John's cheek is buried in her shoulder as one of her hands cradles the back of his head the way one would hold a child, and John... John is crying. John can't breathe for the sobs that strangle him, and already there are tears streaming down his scarred cheeks. The weight on his chest is heavier than ever, pressing down into his lungs, and he remembers in perfect detail the feeling of dying. He recalls the snapping of his bones and the grit in his teeth. He knows the feel of damp soil in his eyes and a constantly narrowing tunnel. And John's own sobs have joined forces with the buried to cut off his access to air. What John doesn't remember is the last time he was hugged. John doesn't remember the last time he was touched by anything aside from a weapon. Even in such close quarters, even when Daisy gave John her soul, she didn't touch him until she had to. It's easy to suppose that maybe she was just sick and tired of being surrounded, but John is long past improbable rationalizations. He knows why. He always knows why. I... I... I'm sorry, John manages instinctively, once his vocal cords work again. This is what finally makes Dr. Bright pull away to look at him, concern writ large across her open face. It's unadulterated and without fear, which somehow makes John feel even worse. She keeps one steadying hand on his arm, her thumb sweeping back and forth in an even rhythm. It helps, despite everything, and John wonders how she knows to do this. He's not sure anyone has done it for him before. You have nothing to apologize for, says Dr. Bright, and hatred burns so fiercely in John's throat he tastes 
file. And the monster says, But I killed them. John, Dr. Bright begins, but her comfort has no bearing anymore. I killed them, John repeats. His voice is raw, ragged, fraying and crackling and broken, but he doesn't seem to notice. I, I did that, Dr. Bright, and I, I deserve to be down there. I deserve to stay down there. I, I killed Sasha, and I didn't notice, and it's my job to know things. Dr. Bright clasps one of John's hands in hers, and the breath he takes is sloppy, like he's forgotten how. John, I understand that you've been through multiple traumatic experiences in the past three years, she says gently, and it's normal to have feelings of survivor's guilt resulting from post-traumatic stress. I know it's awful. And I want to help. I can only ask that you stop using such negative language towards yourself in recounting these stories. From what I understand, you've helped a great many people. Most recently, Detective Tonner. I killed them. John says again, blinking too quickly, body too still. Sasha. Tim. I... John bows his head in shame and guilt and presses a shaking hand against his cheek, wiping away the tears that will not stop falling. I killed them as surely as if I'd pulled the trigger. If... He lets out a bleak and mirthless noise that could have once passed for a laugh. If... If it were my hand on the detonator. Can you explain to me why you believe this is your fault? Dr. Bright asks after a pause, giving John's hand a comforting squeeze. She's switched tactics. She's not sure John knows how to relay these stories without blaming himself. Instead of answering, though, John stalls his unblinking eyes sweeping from the wall to where Dr. Bright's hand covers his back again. Why are you... Why are you still touching me? He asks and dreads the answer. You sh... You shouldn't. I... I... It's dangerous. I'm... Dangerous. I'm no newcomer to danger, says Dr. Bright with a reassuring smile. And you look like you could use a friend. John stares. He's suddenly angry for no reason at himself, at Dr. Bright, at the beholding. But he doesn't move. He doesn't shrink back. He doesn't even speak. He doesn't want to give Dr. Bright a reason to pull away. John. Sorry, John says on reflex, sniffling once and looking at the ground. God, I... It's okay, Dr. Bright replies, her
her brows still knit together with worry. Would you mind explaining to me why these things are your fault? The acrid splash of guilt poisons John's synapses, searing across his cheeks, his nose, his throat. I didn't do my job, he says stiffly, lips pressed tight. I failed, and there were consequences. Consequences that hurt people. Is that why you went alone? Dr. Bright asks softly, and the words are so gentle, but they feel like barbs against John's skin. During your rescue of Detective Tonner. There is a pause. John's jaw works. Yes, he says finally. I... I couldn't risk anyone. I... You risked yourself, Dr. Bright says. You risked your life. You're still quite injured from your encounter, John. It's nothing. They barely scarred. They scarred? Dr. Bright asks, concerned. John, that's... For the first time, he smiles, but there's nothing behind the eyes. And so on and flat and tragic, and John says... Don't worry, I've got something of a collection. Dr. Bright knows the scars well. She remembers categorizing them. The first time John came to see her. The rings that look like a past disease. The burn in a shape of a handshake. The stab wound that pokes out of his shirt collar. John's skin is still mottled with bruises and scrapes, with scabs, with fresh scars. That's definitely concerning. I won't lie. John, your attitude towards your body is worrying me, and Daisy wanted to kill me, John blurts and deflates. Dr. Bright is shocked enough to pull back at this. And for just a moment, her professional calm drops. She sees Mark, forlorn and threatened, in front of her. And in this moment, she's not a doctor. She's a sister. John's fingers twitch as if to take Dr. Bright's hand again, but he decides against it. The gaping hole that resides in his chest has reopened, so he feels almost himself again. She... what? She... she had a reason, John says defensively, as if he is the one at fault. I was a... I am a threat. I'm inhuman. I... She knew that once we stopped the unknowing, I needed to... Don't, Dr. Bright warns, soft and dangerous. John, you did not... Do not need to be killed. Your worth is not tied to stopping rituals. But I am, partly, I... I should be good at what I do. I failed, John says, twisting his fingers. I failed Sasha, and I failed... T I... I failed Tim... 
the same way. I feel Daisy, and I'm failing Martin right now as we speak, and I... I'm not even good at doing this here. I'm... <laughs> I'm bad at being in therapy, which is ridiculous, but... John, I'm going to stop you there, Dr. Bright cuts in firmly. I asked you earlier to stop speaking about yourself so negatively. I'm going to ask you to do so once again, because these are severely detrimental words. There is a more objective way to frame these events that doesn't place you in the role of its antagonist. And while I'm not asking you to paint yourself as a hero, I'm requesting that you stop making yourself out to be the villain. Then she smiles. And you're not bad at being in therapy. She continues, voice warm. It might not make you feel good right now, but you're working through a lot. Progress takes time. I'm going to be here as long as you'll have me. It's your choice, but I am offering to be here every step of the way. Dr. Bright clears her throat and tucks a strand of hair behind her ear. It's fallen out of the bun at the top of her head, black and silky. John, I've read the files that both the Magnus Institute and the sectioned officers sent to me. I know what I need to about your experiences in the past few years. They were not your fault, and Daisy did not have an excuse for planning to kill you. But, John begins, and Dr. Bright levels him with a teacherly stare. John sighs. But, I, I'm like one of those things that attacked the Institute. I'm the same as them. I, I deserve whatever Daisy was planning because John trails off. The monster falls asleep in pieces. The monster's flesh is rot. The voyeur is the passive ceiling, and the monster's being watched. Because you believe you're a monster, Dr. Bright finishes, her gaze intent. An avatar, John says, gritting his teeth and avoiding eye contact. Yes. And why do you believe that? She asks. It's even and slow and logical, and John wants to rail against it, to scream, to encounter any sort of resistance. John works better when he's fighting someone, because at least when they're trying to kill him, he understands the goal of the encounter. Because, because it's true, John says. Frustration bleeding into his tone again. It's, it's plain fact. The sky is blue. There are 24 hours in a day. I am a monster. Dr. Bright remains nonplussed. The sky is blue because of light reflecting around the atmosphere. She counters without judgment. There are 24 hours in a day, because that's how long it takes the Earth to revolve once on its axis. Everything has an explanation, John, even after you've accepted it to be true. She regards him for a long time, both comforting and scrutinizing. 
When I look at you, she says, I don't see a monster. I never will. But you should. I, I died, says John, speaking faster now, his hands growing agitated. And this, this is not a second chance. I, a friend of mine, made that abundantly clear. He's thinking of Georgie and her disappointment and how she was right all along. She usually is. This is unnatural, he continues before Dr. Bright can stop him. I am not a person anymore. People do not wake up from six-month comas with nothing wrong. People do not know what you're afraid of just by looking in your direction. People don't have to worry about their existence being... being a walking violation of ethics. I... I am unnatural and wrong and beholden to some... some fear god. And it's in my head, Dr. Bright. And I... I couldn't protect any of them. I I should be dead. <laughs> and his voice splinters into too many sorry pieces and smashes at John's feet like the glittering remnants of an expensive vase. John laces his fingers together and leans forward, his elbows pressed against his knees, his shoulders hunched. When he speaks again, it's eerily quiet. I killed them, and I should be dead, too. The monster falls asleep, and he is not himself. The monster courts the darkest deep, and nobody can help. John, says Dr. Bright, and she pulls him out of the ocean. John, look at me. John. Despite himself, despite everything, looks up. And listen to me, Dr. Bright continues, reaching out again to cover John's hand with both of hers. You're not a monster, John. You have never been a monster. You're just as susceptible to being evil as anyone else, powered or no. It's your decisions that count, John. Your choices. When I look at you, I see a man trying his best to make the choices that save as many people as possible. Unless that person is yourself. But haven't you ever thought about the fact that you're just as worthy of saving? Dr. Bright asks, calm, cool, clear. Haven't you ever thought about the fact that you are an innocent person targeted by entities beyond your understanding or control. Have you ever taken the time to consider that you do not need to bear everyone's conscience on your own, even if it might feel like you have to? You're not a monster, John. You may not be fully human, or even human at all, but you are not a monster. Once again, she squeezes his hand hard, that grounding comfort. The fact that you're so hyper-aware of your abilities, and try your best not to harm people, that is an action of a kind person, a good person. 
You are not your patron. That's what's clear to me about you, John. That you have been through a lot, and that you're still afloat. You're still trying to do your best. I'm here to remind you to keep on kicking. John doesn't think anyone has told him that before. He should thank her. He should say something. He should respond in any sort of way that shows he appreciates what she's said, what she's done. Oh. John chokes out instead, his throat almost completely closed. Dr. Bright looks at him like she believes in him, so John shuts his eyes and feels fresh tears slide down sticky cheeks, catching in the ridges of honeycombed scars. Oh. If you're overwhelmed, Dr. Bright says, aptly timed, we can take a break. You can collect your thoughts and we can finish the last twenty minutes of the session. Is that okay? I... Uh, yes, I, uh... John sniffles and pushes up his glasses. Yes, please. Uh, can I... Christ, do you mind if I go out for a smoke? He's already fiddling with the packet in his pocket, and Dr. Bright's mouth is a not-angry-just-disappointed line. Outside, she says, and John's hands still. But yes, come back in when you're done. John nods, then stands, walking hesitantly towards the door. I am going to remind you, though, Dr. Bright continues, that cigarettes are incredibly damaging to the body, and I'm already concerned about the way you take care of yourself and the lack thereof. Don't worry, Dr. Bright. John says, smiling that same flat smile as before. It's sadder now, if that's possible. Hi. I've recently learned that I can't do myself any physical harm, so... His hand returns to his pocket. There shouldn't be an issue. Excuse me? Dr. Bright stands now, too, her senses on high alert. John reaches for the doorknob, then stops. His hand is shaking. John, what haven't you told me? Are you... Will you come with me? John asks, and there's a tremor in his voice, too. His eyes sweep around the office, and they see a different time, a different place, a different person in Dr. Bright's place. Will I... What? I just... The last time... I... He blinks a few times and clears his throat. It's silly. Paranoia. But if you... Of course, says Dr. Bright. John is a mess tear-stained and rumpled, wearing an old graphic t-shirt that looks too big for him, and she doesn't know how she could deny him that security. Of course, John, come on, let's get you cleaned up. Dr. Bright takes him by the arm and shows him the bathroom, and John does smoke outside, 
and talks about the first special interest he ever had. It was dragons, which he became enamored of after finding a story in his grandmother's pile of consignment books. Afternoon sun is nice, if not necessarily warm, and for a moment they can pretend that everything's okay. Somewhere in Dr. Bright's office, a tape recorder shuts itself off. The end. Thank you for listening.